Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, um, the latter half, because if you know Luke, he has really long chapters. Uh, we'll be towards the end of it. Um, but before we dive in, I'm going to pray really quick. You guys pray with me? Yeah. God, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for this set-aside moment on, on Sunday mornings where we just... We learn more about you. We, we press more into you, God. We worship you. God, let this be a day where it just bleeds out into the rest of our week. Uh, strengthen us for this week. Let us be your church this week, God. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I used to have uh, this roommate before I was married. I'm married now. I don't have a roommate. I have a wife. She's awesome. Very different from roommate. But I had a roommate for, for it was probably like five years. Um, really good friend of mine. He, uh, he, he kind of, he was with me during my progression. Let's just put it that way. There was a time in my life where I didn't make a whole lot of good decisions. More bad decisions than good decisions. And uh, that's kind of where we started being friends. And then he was with me for the years as it kind of led up to, uh, to Bible college and, and what Jesus was doing in me. Uh, to be honest, I'm pretty sure he liked the part of me that made worse decisions because uh, things got a little rough shortly after that. And there's, there's one particular time in that that I'm often reminded of. There is a book that I was reading, um, and it came across a particular verse in Galatians that I, I, I thought was, it, was, it was, wasn't really funny. The verse is this. It says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, stuff like that. And uh, I was telling him one day, I'm like, this verse kind of reminds me of you. I thought it was funny. Uh, I'm like, I was reading this and I really thought of you. Uh, he didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Which was interesting to me because he's the kind of friend that I would have that, uh, you know, we, we probably said the worst things to each other. We had literally physical altercations and the next day we'd be better friends than we were before. I put him in the hospital once because I apparently hit him right in the kidney and he had to go to the hospital. But the next day we were fine. And then I said this particular thing to him, uh, and he was not fine. And I had noticed in that moment that through my progression, something in our relationship had changed. Something had changed where I can't say the same things that I used to say, because there seemed to be more behind him than just making fun of each other. It was... It was kind of earth-shattering, because this, this was my buddy. This was uh, kind of who I went to and all these things. And I realized that in that moment, things were different. Things were different. And um, I'm going to get back into this story a little bit. But as I read through, uh, particularly Luke chapter 9, there's some things in here that I read that reminds me of that story. And we're going to put them all together at the end, so stick with me before we land this plane. Um, and, and we'll get there. But we're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 57 to 62. But first, before we get into Bible, let's set up some context. Because there's some important things that have happened in the early parts of chapter 9, moving into the latter half of it. So, a couple things have happened. First, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. He gives them power. He gives them power to heal. He gives them power to cast out demons. And he says, preach the kingdom. They're jazzed about it. They're excited. They come back. They're like, things are going really well. Thank you for that power. We really dig this whole power idea. Then we move into this part where Jesus, you guys might be familiar, feeds 5,000 people. He multiplies food, does this miracle, and then he says to his disciples, you go serve those 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men. So it's probably more like ten to 15,000 people that, that the disciples now have to serve. 
and I picture them like, you know what? You just gave us this power to heal and to do all this stuff. What if we could, we could do like a mini miracle, just have them serve themselves? <laughs> Buffet style? And Jesus like, nope. Go serve them. And there's, we know of 12, there's probably a handful more, but 10 to 15,000 people they're essentially feeding dinner to. And I don't know that they were as excited about that part as they were about power to cast out demons. Power over all this other stuff. And I get that idea from the rest of the context. Jesus goes into a series of rebukes for his disciples. Let's look at a few. The disciples couldn't cast out a demon from a boy. Right after this, some guy comes to Jesus. He's like, my boy, he's afflicted by a demon and your disciples couldn't do anything. Jesus says, you faithless generation. How long do I have to be with you? It's a, it's a good, solid rebuke to his disciples. The next one, the disciples were then discussing which one of them, right after this happened, which one of them was the greatest? Which one of us do you think Jesus likes the most? Jesus like, guys, we've got a mission. Rebukes him. It's a good, solid rebuke. Next one, the disciples see other disciples, not of their clique, doing good works. Um, Casting out demons, doing things in Jesus' name, and then the disciples that are hanging out with Jesus are like, "Should we go beat them up? Because they're not—they're not a part of us." And I just picture Jesus, I'm like, guys, no. The answer is no. No. If they're not against us, they're for us. And there's one more that's comical. Jesus is going through a town in Samaria. And they don't, they don't receive him. They don't, they're not excited about him being there. And James and John, two of the disciples, don't take that kindly. And they're like, Jesus, you remember that power you gave us about the casting out demons. What if you gave us the power of fire? And we call down fire on this town. Jesus. No! Guys! No! Don't burn the town! I imagine these two as the pyros of the bunch. Usually lighting things on fire, and Jesus has to constantly say, No, no more fires, guys. Let us move on. And this brings us to our particular verse. And it's interesting that um, the disciples seem to be really excited in the first part of Luke 9. Power. They can do these things. They're doing really good things. And then Jesus is like, Yeah, but you have to use that to serve. He's putting it into perspective. You have power, but how you use it, how you use it is important. You serve, all right? I'll give you power, but you serve. Then he has to go in. He has to remind them constantly. And then the particular verse that we're in, verse 57, is another good reminder. It's one of my faves. Let us read. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Then the disciples over on the side said, hey, Jesus, we're making some iced coffee, but we ran out of ice. Can we borrow some from your heart? It, hit, it just took a second. That's not actually in there. That's not my particular translation. But it seems like what Jesus is actually doing is cold. Like the things that he's saying, ouch. Ouch. So there are three interactions. Let's break this down a little bit because it, it may be exactly what we think it is. It may not. Let's, let's dive into it a little bit. First interaction. We're not exactly sure who these particular disciples are. But there's a parallel passage in Matthew that tells us this first guy is a scribe. Uh, if you're not familiar with a scribe, more of a, a lawyer, very focused on the law, very focused on, on the letter, really big on learning. And I think what's happening in this first one, he says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, I slept on a rock last night. Are you going to be okay with that? Because his, he was more so fixated on, I think, the learning from, as opposed to the living for. So it's one thing to be here and we learn from Jesus. We can gather things from Jesus. We can, we can continue our knowledge of Jesus. But there's a time where Jesus is like, listen, you've learned enough. Now you live for. It changes things. It switches the relationship a little bit. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to this particular disciples. Now, we, we don't know explicitly how these disciples respond. It doesn't explicitly say, I have an idea, which I'll get to shortly. But we don't know exactly how they respond. It could be good. It could be bad. We'll find out. We won't find out. I have an idea, and I'll tell you about it in a little bit. But a little hook. <laughs> Stay engaged. <laughs> what I think is happening here in this first interaction is Jesus is challenging us in our comfort. He's challenging us in our comfort because it's one thing, and I, I know this particularly, it's one thing to bury yourself in a book and learn more and more. That's easy. It's another thing to take the things that you learn in that book and, and apply it to your life and to move forward. That's the, as I was going through my schooling, that's the one thing that I just didn't want. I loved being smarter than everybody. And there was a time where I realized I'm a jerk. <laughs> and things had to change. It just took a lot of schooling and a lot of money to do it. It's terrible. There's a time where we have to start taking what we, what we read in this book. Just do it. Too often, and, and again, I'm, I'm some of the, the, the worst, worst to do it. I just, I read, I'm like, that's really good. Let's dive into that more and more. Let's, let's look at more and more detail of that verse. And then I forget to do it. I don't know if I'm the only one. There may be times... When we're following Jesus that we just don't have a place to sleep. Now, yes, American culture, uh, chances are pretty good that we're all going to have a comfy bed somewhere. But Jesus is still challenging our comforts. Sometimes it's not going to be the bed you're laying on. Sometimes it's not going to be a rock pillow. Sometimes it's going to be something else. And hopefully what's happening in this is the Spirit of God is communicating to you what this looks like in your life. Because I have no idea what a lot of your lives look like. I have no idea what a challenge to your comforts would look like. I'm hoping 
that the Spirit of God is doing that. I'm hoping that through this whole thing that God is speaking to you guys and really applying this to your lives. Because he has wrecked me this week as I've been going through it. But that's for me. You guys have your deal. I'll, I'll worry about mine. There's going to be times where we make sacrifices. Following Jesus sometimes requires a sacrifice. Sometimes we don't need the biggest and best. Sometimes Jesus requires more of our time than our work requires of our time. First interaction challenges our comforts. The second one, this one's my favorite. They're all my favorite. I always say favorite. I have a lot of favorites. The second one I think is interesting because I'm pretty sure that these are happening in succession. So the first guy was just told, hey, probably not going to have a place to sleep. Second guy is like, okay, I heard that. And then it's interesting because Jesus actually calls this one out. The other two guys are like, I'm going to follow you. But Jesus to this guy is like, he's like in the crowd. Hey, you follow me. Like he's finding a specific person. He says, you follow me. And then his response I heard, I heard what you said to that guy. That's cool. Like, I understand you were sleeping on a rock last night. That's good. Uh, I appreciate that you want to save us. But there's, there's this whole deal that I'm taking care of. Uh, oh, uh, my dad not doing so well. Um, we we're pretty sure that his dad in this in the, this this we've moved on to the next one. Let me go bury my dad. He's not dead yet. We are pretty convinced he's not dead yet because if this guy was hanging out with Jesus and his crew and not with his family mourning, that would be the biggest, the most disrespectful thing that he could be doing. So it wouldn't matter anyway. He wouldn't want to bury his dad because he's already disrespected him. Usually in the Jewish culture, it takes a month, sometimes a year to mourn. So you're pretty much off the face of the earth. So we know that his dad's actually not dead. What does that mean? Could be a couple things. He could be sick. He could be well-seasoned in age. He could be a handful of a bunch of different things. But the thing is, is his dad's not dead. What he's actually trying to do is just give an excuse. This is what it sounds like. He's saying, I, I, heard, I heard about this whole no-bed thing. I'm not, I'm not really partial to that. But my dad's dying, and there's a particular thing that I'm quite excited about, which is my inheritance. Once my dad passes, I gain a handful of cash. Some denarii. That's not how you say it, but as I... Never mind. He's a little more excited about his inheritance as opposed to some of the other things that, that's going on. And what I think is actually happening is Jesus is challenging his preferences. The guy's thinking, okay, you know what, here, here's what we'll do. You guys go, you do what you got to do. Uh, I am going to, um, I'm going to wait. My dad passed, gained some, some finances, pad the pockets a little bit. While you guys are sleeping out on the rocks, I'll go hang out in the inn. Uh, get some get some good rest so that I can be effective in the ministry. Um, I'll get some good rest, partake of some continental breakfast. I don't know. I'll, if there's pancakes, I'll bring some. And then after we can meet up in the morning, and then we'll we'll go and do the thing that uh, what did you, uh, proclaim the God. That's right. We'll do that. It seems like he's just trying to make an excuse. It would seem like it. And what's Jesus's response? 
which seems cold. Let the dead bury the dead. What I think he's actually saying here is let the spiritually dead worry about the physically dead. Because we are spiritually alive and there are some spiritually dead who need to be brought from death to life. There are some people that need to hear this message. In fact, you need to separate yourself from that so that you can continue to proclaim them. You can continue to change lives. Because that's what Jesus is calling you to do. And it challenges our preferences sometimes. Sometimes we have to make choices. Do, do we want to continue down in this, this, this path of a lucrative career? Career's going well. Things are going nice. We're excited. Money's coming in. I'll be able to set up my family so that everything's good. Or that career that's sacrificing time from your family, that's sacrificing time from, from your church family, maybe from a ministry, maybe from things that God wants you to do. It's really easy to err on the side of, I just need to do this so that my family will be well off. I'm telling you this because this is something that I deal with regularly. We can go down this path and it'll be great. We'll be set for life. College is not cheap anymore. College is insane. I will not pay for my kids' college. I can't. Sometimes there are some sacrifices that you have to make and I think a lot of them is our time. And we do not like sacrificing our time. But sometimes Jesus calls us to our families. I think Jesus especially calls us to our church families. We're not not currently in the middle of... Um, our, our, our table groups, our men's and women's ministry, aside from what's, what's happening in December, uh, we're currently on a break. That doesn't mean that we just stop hanging out with everyone. We're trying to build a community here. We're trying to build a family. That requires hanging out with each other. It's, it's the Christmas season. It's really easy to say, I'm just really busy. Uh, trust me, it's really easy to say that. Um, but sometimes following Jesus is challenging our preferences. I just want to stay home tonight. Let's just do nothing. But there's some stuff going on with this family, and I think we should be a part of it. I think we should help them out. We had a lot of stuff going on this week, man. Good and bad. The Woolies had a kid. Do you guys know the Woolies? That little baby. I love babies. I don't want any more. I love, I love being able to give them back. That leads us to our, <laughs> moving on, that leads us to our, our third interaction that Jesus has. And this one, the guy says, let me first go and say goodbye to the people in my home, which is a reasonable request, right? Now Jesus' response, those who put their hand to the plow and turn back are not fit for the kingdom of God. That's... But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you turn your back on them. And you follow me. That's not what he's saying. But it seems like, because God tends to know us a little better than we even know ourselves, which is dangerous when you try and tell God off, don't do it. It doesn't work out well. It knows us a little better than ourselves. And um, it seems like what he's saying here is you're trying to look for just an excuse to get out of this just for a little bit. But it doesn't have to be like that. If you keep me your priority, go back and say hi to the people at your house. Stay there. Proclaim the kingdom to them. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it's the hardest thing to proclaim the kingdom of God, to to talk about Jesus with our families. I have no idea what that is. 
Sometimes it's super rough. But Jesus is saying, make me your priority and go and do it. You can still have Thanksgiving dinner with your family. In fact, you may reconcile some things because it gets a little out of control. Um, Bring me there. You don't separate yourself. This isn't a us versus them mentality. It's a us in them. Let's be a part of this. We can change this culture as, as followers of Jesus. I think we will. You know what? If you were not here last week, if this is your first time or for some reason you missed last week, last week was a catalytic moment for our church. I fully believe. It was an amazing service. Yeah, and Pastor Jason did a good job. But he did, he did a fantastic job. But it was, it was us standing in unity together saying... It doesn't have to be like it is out there. If you haven't heard the podcast, please go on our website. Check out the podcast from last week. Um, it was amazing. It was, it, was, it was just an honor to be a part of. And we got to do it twice. Those of us that are on the team, man, I don't know how we did that second one. It was great, though. It was such, such a good moment. But Jesus has to be our top priority. Following Jesus requires him to be our top priority. We can't have a divided heart. Matthew 6, 24 tells us you can't serve God and money. And most of us in this room probably know that. We, we probably felt it. We don't articulate it that often, but it's like we have two choices. We waver between the two. You can't serve them both. You're just making life harder than it needs to be. So you may be asking yourself, why, why do I have to be challenged? Lord, life is good. I'm comfortable. I'm content. There's no need to, you know, wrestle the dirt, get it all crazy. I don't know what wrestling the dirt is. I'm thinking of a plant, but you guys aren't thinking of a plant. Now you are thinking of a plant. Why, why do you have to get all up in my biz, Jesus? And I found the answer. We're off the rails. I found the answer. I, uh, for some reason, this is the time where I really like reading books. And I'm trying to read the Chronicles of Narnia to my daughters. Uh, they're five and two and some change. They cannot sit still for five-page chapters. My Lord, five pages. I got like three into it. I'm like, this is getting good. And they're like, eh, I'm running over here. I'm like, sit down. You need to appreciate C.S. Lewis. <laughs> And they don't, they don't yet appreciate it. So I'm like, all right, fine. You guys leave. I'll read it myself. I love these books. <laughs> but in, in my reading, I come across this thing. The, if you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the great lion Aslan is an a archetype for Jesus. What C.S. Lewis describes as this lion is really how he's describing Jesus. And he says this a couple times in the book, and I love this. He's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. And I think... I think we can put that on our lives as followers of Jesus. It doesn't have to be safe. It's not safe, but it's good. You guys haven't read Chronicles Narnia? You totally do. It's the, it's the time of year. Or watch the movie. That's good, too. Tumnus says it in there. Mr. Tumnus? Nobody? He's, he's a fawn. Don't worry about it. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 20 says this, 16 to 21. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produces plentifully. And he thought to himself, well, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my stuff. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. 
Because the answer is bigger stuff. And there I will store all of my stuff. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. God's response, you idiot. It's my version. Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. John Piper says this in a book that he, he, he wrote called Don't Waste Your Life. The unwasted life puts Christ on display as supremely valuable. Christ is the most valuable thing that is a part of our life. It should be top priority. Can I just say that it, right now is an exciting time to be a Christian? It may not seem like it. Things are in turmoil. But it's this place that needs the message of hope, needs the message of grace, needs the message of forgiveness, of of reconciliation. It's actually an exciting time to be a Christian. We can be a light in this darkness. We talked about it last week. Things in this country are very interesting right now. There's hope. There's grace. And we know this message. Luke 9, a little bit earlier, he says this, For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, the thing is, with following Jesus, it gives us purpose. It gives us a purpose. Even in the most menial parts of our lives, it gives us purpose. What do our jobs look like if we don't have purpose? Are we literally just working towards retirement? Is that what it looks like? We show up every week. We're probably the guys that say, mm, it's another Monday. It's Tuesday. Hump day. We're just trying to get through the week. The most exciting part of our week is Friday. Are we literally just trying to get through it? Or is there a purpose behind it? What do some of those conversations you have look like with purpose? When you instill purpose in something. When you see those people, they're like, oh, it's just a Monday. Be like, you know what? I had Sunday yesterday. I'm super jazzed. Let's talk. Let's go get coffee. I know that it's work time, so maybe we should wait till lunch. I'm just putting that out there. Well, let's go. Let's talk. Let's, let's, let's do it. Because we can have an impact on people's lives. We know hope. We know joy. We know grace. A lot of people don't. A lot of people need to hear this. Yeah. What do our parenting, what does our parenting look like without purpose? I say this, are we really just trying to get to the next nap time? Are we really just trying to get to to bedtime? Oh my gosh, that's the worst time of my day. I love my daughters. But what does it look like if we put purpose in our parenting? You know, Jewish culture... They would not eat breakfast until they reviewed the lesson from the day before. Whatever they were studying about God, about, about, about the Bible, anything that they were diving into, it's like, let's review this before we even eat. Or while we're eating. Let's instill some purpose in how we parent. Are we, are we bringing up a generation that just wants to stick to the phone? You know what's really funny? My daughters get so upset when I'm like, no, you cannot watch Disney Collector again. It's a YouTube thing. Like, no, I am taking away YouTube right now. You've been on it for far too long. I'm not going to admit how long. I wish that they would freak out if I had to take their Bible from them. I never would. It's against everything that I... But I'm like, if I ever had to take their Bible, would they freak out? Currently, no. This is sad. We're working on it, though. 
What does it look like to instill purpose into our parenting? What does our relationship with Jesus look like without purpose? If you have time here or there, you're like, hey, what's up, Jesus? Guide me. That is out of, like, we have time in the car, so we're, we're getting ready. We're like, Jesus, be with me. Or things go horribly wrong. You're like, I, I don't know what to do. God saved me, and you try and, like, barter with him. Like, I'll do this. I'll go to church more. You just fix this, please. I say that because I don't really barter with him anymore. I've been told I'm wrong too many times. <laughs> if you live with passion to make others passionate about Christ, your life will be this. Your life will be hard. Your risk will be high. But your joy will be full. If you live with passion to make others passionate about Christ. This is uh, the last words that Jesus said to us. Great commission. Go. Make disciples. Teach them what I've taught you. There's something important about the last words. I try to take note of the last things my wife says to me before I go to work. Um, Usually I'm quizzed on it later. Somehow it comes up. The last words that you say, the last things I say to my daughter is, I love you, and I will continue saying it literally for minutes until I get a response. Like, I love you. I love you. Tell me. I love you. I'll sit there as long as I have to. (laughs) Sometimes you have to be patient with kids. I posted this on Twitter yesterday. Sometimes being a parent is just holding out a high five for a really long time until they leave and you're just like... Sometimes parenting requires patience. Um, I told you that I had this interaction with my roommate um, where I kind of called him out on some stuff. I said some sharp things that I thought was acceptable, uh, but apparently wasn't. Uh, Some of you guys might be familiar with the verse that I was talking about, Um, but he wrote that verse down. He put it in his bag, and he was intending to take it to work so that him and his friends at work could kind of discuss how much of a jerk I've become um, since I've started following Jesus. Um, and I, I knew that's what he was going to do because that's just kind of what they do. Um, so when he put that in his bag, he, he later fell asleep and pulled that thing right back out. And I finished the verse. Uh, let me run it through for you in case you're, you're curious. Um, Galatians 5, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the second part that I put on there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when he went into his work that day, and he's like, this is what my roommate gave me, and he starts running through it, and then he gets to that part and slows down a little bit. I don't know if that's what happened. I'm hoping that would happen. But he didn't have, he's, he's not going to use the Bible as his fodder against hating Jesus. He can hate me as much as he wants. And I haven't talked to him in a while. I don't know I don't know what he's doing. I don't, I don't know where he's at. But I do remember that um, pretty close to when we were, when we kind of separated ways and we hadn't talked in a few years, 
he said this to me. He said, I, I wish I could do what you're doing. I'm like, what do you mean? Because you, essentially, you had a career that you were working on, um, and you, you kind of just said no. You stopped doing that, and you went to Bible college. You did something that was essentially meaningless, and you, you started doing something that's meaningful. And I thought there were a lot of power. There's, there's a lot of power in what he was saying, uh, which was, I, didn't, I didn't see it. Like, this isn't this glorious thing that I was doing. In fact, uh, when you stop working and it hits your wallet, you're like, is this, am I sure this is what I'm supposed to be doing? But he said this. He's like, I wish I, wish I could do that. I'm like, you can. You can. I know this guy. He could help you out. Secret. His name's Jesus. I never, I never got that. I, I never got to tell him where he was accepting of it. I, I don't know what he's doing now. I, I hope that uh, that was just a seed. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Sometimes Jesus' words are harsh, but they're calculated. They're calculated. See, yeah, Jesus said some pretty sharp things, but he'd been working on these guys for a while. This was not a, hey, you. It's nice to see you. It's the first time we've met. Uh, you should turn your back on everything and follow me. He did say that to some. But Jesus knows our characters a little bit better. See, the end result was, I told you, it doesn't explicitly say what happened to these disciples. I have an idea. I have an idea. Because if you, if you finish chapter 9 and move right into chapter 10... Beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sends out 12 disciples. Beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72. I don't know if those three were a part of the 72. I have an idea. I have an idea. I hope you guys can connect those dots, too. Now, I want to end on this. I got one last quote for you. filled with quotes today. John Wimber, uh, he was a, uh, a part of starting the Vineyard Movement, if, if you're familiar with it. He had this quote, and it's, it's probably one of my favorites. It says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Risk. My daughters can't read yet. They're not in, they're not in here, but... Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, and I thought that was so powerful, because sometimes... It just requires a risk. Sometimes it just requires a risk. Often we live life without taking any risks. Let's take some. Let's take some. You guys stand with me? I want to encourage you guys, as you go out this week, look at maybe a risk or two. Step out a little bit. It's exciting. It's scary. It's not safe. It's good. 